I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Part one of our A to Z brought us aces, bust-ups, custodians, daisy cutters, echelons, foot races, gilt-edged chances, hardy souls, ill-tempered cup ties, just hours after, keystone cops and lockers. Well, it's time to finish what we started. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Rejoining me for this second half, uh, it's an unchanged lineup. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, who uh, a man now just two appearances away from triggering his co-host clause in his contract. <laughs> How you doing, Charlie? Yes, I'm good. How are you doing, Adam? Yeah, fine, thanks. Also with us, football writer, polyglot and author of Do You Speak Football, it's Tom Williams. Hi, Adam. How excited are you for the second half of this alphabet? Oh, very excited. I mean, we left things on such a cliff edge at the end of part one, uh, and I've had the second part of the alphabet just rotating around in my brain ever since. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Okay. Uh, well, my message to you is, hey, this does not fucking slip now. This does not fucking slip. Listen, there's an A to L is gone. We go the letter M exactly the same. We go again. And for the rest of you, you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days. That is precisely 2.73 Steve Coppell reigns as Manchester City manager in 1996 by going to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. We begin, as I said, with the letter M. And where better to start with the word mercurial, which is... Tom, I feel, I feel like this is a quite a lazy word to throw around. It's a bit like enigmatic. It just feels like a word you, you feel obliged to assign to certain players without really going into any detail. So what kind of player comes into your head when I say mercurial? I mean, mercurial inevitably is the sort of inconsistent winger. Um, mm. You know, classic, blows hot and cold, uh, you know, a front ribbery. Uh, I, think there's, I think there's an element... In mercurial, there's, there's a suggestion of, of something perhaps slightly unsavoury, perhaps, you know, perhaps okay. a, a slightly undependable character. Um, right. And yeah, as you say, the sort of the sort of tag that gets slapped on um, inconsistent wide players with, with, you know, a great deal of regularity. Interestingly, a word that Nike basically tried to repurpose by, oh, by slapping yes, it, it on one of their their boots. And if you actually look at the dictionary definition of mercurial, <laughs> it, yes. it's not an entirely positive adjective to apply to someone. I mean, it basically means someone who is erratic, someone who is mm. untrustworthy. Mm. Um, but for a whole generation of, uh, you know, football fans who've, and you know, the mercurial has been Nike's sort of lead boot for quite a long time. It, I think it's, it, it now, uh, as a football word, holds much more positive connotations yes. than it does as a non-football word. It's really funny, actually. You know, we were talking last week about words that you only really use in football, but not outside. Yeah. I actually described someone, a friend of my wife, uh, to my wife as being mercurial the other day. <laughs> really? And, yeah, I don't think I've, I've, I've never used it to describe a person, but it really was like the perfect description. How did Those you feel t- as you said it? 
Uh, like a football commentator, as if I, as if I were describing a, a kind of uh, yeah mysterious French winger like Hatem Ben Arfa or someone. But then this, sorry, did, yeah, go did on. the person you were speaking to at that point know what you meant? Because the Absolutely whole point not. of it being used in a football context is no one really knows what it means. They just accept that it's used. Absolutely not. So I said it to my wife about a friend of hers, and there was this sort of silence. She was like, mm, "What does that mean?" And I realised <laughs> I didn't really know. So. <laughs> I mean, I had an idea. I looked it up. As Tom says, it is the the dictionary definition is slightly less positive. Like in my head, I I did mean it more as a compliment, um, you know. But uh, yeah, it's not quite as Nike sold it to me all these years. Okay, moving on. Hopefully, to a slightly more clear cut case of M. It's uh, minnows. I feel like minnows is a more of an international football thing, um, and. Tom, I want to know, what's the threshold for being a minnow? How far down the FIFA rankings are we talking? Or is, it, is this a population thing? Is this a, is this a surface area of your country thing? I want to know what the threshold is and the criteria for being a minnow. Um, I think the interesting thing about minnow is that it refers to an exceptionally small fish. Um, and <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we could Krill. all imagine what a small fish looks like. But if you yeah. look at how small a minnow is, it really is quite surprisingly small. Um, so I think in that respect, it, it works quite well as a name for, you know, uh, an outsider or, or an underdog, because on the one hand, you have um, the fact that, you know, that, that there are no hopers ultimately. And also you've got this this idea of physical, um, you know, puniness, I suppose. So I think in, in sort of domestic cup competitions, a minnow has to be um, non-league. Um, yeah. And in, in terms of the FIFA ranking, Generally speaking, you're looking at your micro states, uh, your <laughs> tiny island state, you know, your Liechtensteins, your St. Kitts and Nevises. <laughs> Great pluralizing going on that's, here. That's what we're looking at when we're, when we're looking yeah. at minnows. Yeah, I think of San Marino as a minnow, Charlie. How about you? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, minnows as well, I, I think of FA Cup as well quite heavily, as well as international sides. Um, mm. non-league minnows that kind of thing the uh the italian equivalent of minnow is uh cinderella um so oh. if you're if you're talking about a, an outsider in the copper italia um you would refer to them as a cinderella which which doesn't quite have minnows um you know evocation of of, of tiny size but does mm. conjure up an idea of you know a, a fairy story mm, indeed mm. so on to n and I feel like this this particular cliche is starting to become rather outdated. I haven't heard it for a while, um, which is the nosebleed. Now, Charlie, hmm. please explain to anybody who doesn't understand what nosebleed might mean in a footballing context. This is when a defender goes too far up the pitch and they're mm. said to get a nosebleed. O often it will end, you know, they should shoot, but they seem a bit panic as to what to do. And again, yeah. I, I remember being about 14 or 15 and, you know, watching a lot of football and absorbing all these cliches and saying it to a guy who's in my school team he was a right back being like oh you got a bit of a nosebleed there and he just <laughs> didn't know what i was talking about it took it completely i mean he wasn't the sharpest anyway but to get completely mm. literally um but yes it's it, uh, said to me yeah get, getting too far forward and sort of losing your bearings a bit but crucially tom i feel like this is this, this only this only applies sort of within the penalty area but it doesn't apply to the lovely phenomenon, say, of a centre-half who ends up on the wing and he has to sort of... And they feel obliged <laughs> to do sort of step-overs and stuff, which I, feel, I just feel like it's a wonderful moment of football. But I also don't think that applies to nosebleed um, definition. 
no nosebleed territory has to be the centre of the pitch um, <laughs> and is invariably the opposition penalty area. Uh, and I think it speaks to the fact that in football, uh, at pretty much any level, I mean, perhaps not at the absolute top level, but certainly, you know, as a kid, when you start playing 11-a-side football for the first time, when you get an opportunity to score a goal, there is mm. a moment of excitement when you think to yourself, I'm going to score a goal. And ordinarily... <laughs> When you see a sort of dead-eyed modern finisher like a Sergio Aguero or a Harry Kane, you're fairly sure that that's not what's going through their mind <laughs> as they shake to pull the trigger. But when you get, you know, a lumbering lummox of a centre-back uh, who who stands poised to score his first goal in seven years of first-team football, you tend to think that the thought process is probably not all that different the kind of thought process you had yourself as a twelve-year-old yeah. footballer, um, and yeah, that's that's classic nosebleed territory. I feel like it tallies up well when a co-commentator says, "If there was one player they didn't want that chance to fall <laughs> to, it's it's that lumbering six-foot centre half." That um, happened to my local club, uh, Colwyn Bay. Um, <laughs> we drew Wrexham in the FA Cup first round about what twenty-five years ago now or something. It was yeah. quite a big deal. They were a league club, local yeah. North Wales rivalry, uh, and in the first game at the race course. Uh, one of Colwyn Bay's players got through clean on goal and all the Colwyn Bay fans were, were were sitting behind the goal at the opposite end of the stadium. So you couldn't initially tell who it was who was through. You could just see that someone was through. And then we all collectively realised that it was this absolute donkey of a central midfielder <laughs> called, called <laughs> Lee Harvey. And there was this sort of like, oh, oh. As, Lee Harvey, as, of course, historically... Quite, I was going to say, quite, yeah. Quite good at shooting. <laughs> Actually, so, uh... quite the sharpshooter, ironically. But, but at that moment, yeah, the, the, there, was, there was a groan before he even uh, cocked up the chance, as he inevitably did. Where were you when Lee Harvey missed that chance in the FA Cup? Do they have um, a brassy knoll at Colby? <laughs> On to O, obdurate. I feel like I feel like again. That's, I don't. I don't hear that word anywhere else. And crucially, also, I couldn't define it accurately without having to without having to Google it. And yet, in a football context, I would I would happily just throw it around willy nilly. What What does obdurate mean to you, Charlie? It's obdurate defending. When I hear mm. obdurate, I hear defending. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's giving nothing away. I think in in real life, it means a sort of stubbornness, and I guess that. Yeah sort of applies in football as well you know it's just an absolute refusal to change tack or I mean I think you know you think of that inter uh beating Barca with 10 men in 2010 at the new Camp that is so obdurate they just would and, not change what they were doing and of course one thing that obdurate teams won't uh, let you have Tom is oceans of room which I feel like is is the unit of measurement um for room in football but you can also have acres of space or you can be in all kinds of space, which which begs the question: just how many kinds of space can there possibly be? I'm I'm confused. What does all kinds of space mean? Yeah, it's one of those examples where football strays into kind of metaphysical territory <laughs> um, without having any business there. I mean, surely there can only really be one kind of space on a, mm. a football pitch. But I, I think there's a these terms are only ever used to highlight uh, the defensive ineptitude of the team that has allowed uh, an opponent to have so much space, presumably in what will be, you know, a fairly dangerous area of the pitch. And I think yeah. I think all kinds of space sort of sums up that exasperation. That not only does he have conventional football <laughs> space in that he's surrounded yeah. by, you know, meters of empty grass. But that on all kinds of other levels, I don't know, spiritual, philosophical, 
he is also in space, uh, just laying bare. Um, nice. You know the, uh, the the decrepitude of the the defender. <laughs> the next with the next entry in O, I, and I ran, ran I ran this past my football agnostic parents to check that they they didn't appreciate <laughs> this in in a, in a regular life context. But the concept of an off day or an off night. Um, apparently, I wasn't sure, but apparently, according to them, who I who I trust with my life, that doesn't exist in 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 life. It doesn't exist in 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 regular life. So I just wonder how football came into the idea of an off day and an off night. And Charlie, crucially, when are those things cited? He's just had a bit of an off day. Um, often, I think with finishing, you know, it's uh, you'd expect him to put a bunch of these chances away, but he's just had a bit of an off day. Um, but what I would I- say. It's it's more when a minnow is going into a cup tie, and it's saying oh, well, hoping you know, they'll we're going to be at the top day. of their game, and we're going to hope they're hope they're having a bit of an off day. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, that's and, true. And it's, that that's all that's required to uh, to, to to cause a cup upset. Um, certainly going a back, prerequisite. Sorry, no, mm. certainly a prerequisite, isn't it? They are going to have to have a bit of an off day. Yeah, absolutely. It's this, this kind of dichotomy of one one team not being good and the other being bad, as if that is simple enough to. Uh, create the result of a football match. Um, they have a similar to... expression. Sorry, Adam. They have a, they have a similar Sorry, expression in, in French football, um, which is un jour sans, which basically just means a day without. Oh wow! And mm. I think it, it it's an acceptance that every now and again a team just doesn't show up for reasons that mm. no one can really explain. Um, and I think that in in sort of uh, British football speak, uh, there's something a bit embarrassing about having an off day. It's. Yeah. I mean, yes, it could happen to everyone, to anyone, but it, it shouldn't. Whereas the way that that uh, the French use jour sans, it, it's 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 quite it's an lovely. accepted explanation. Every now and again, it just doesn't, you know, and and it happens. You know, you see it. A team who should be firing on all cylinders, a team who've been on a great run of form, just don't show up. And and I think I think it's an example that, um, or you know, it, it, it's a testament to the fact that every now and again. Things happen in football that you just can't explain. There are results that you can pick over. There are games that you can analyse to the death that just make no sense because one team inexplicably hasn't shown up. Is that quite is a that Gallic thing as well, Tom? The, uh, the kind of shrugging <laughs> I was about it off. I to say that myself. How dare you? <laughs> How dare, is, How dare is, you? I told you about talking over me. <laughs> there, is something, there is something very Gallic uh, about, about that. And while we're on the subject, um, uh, remind me when we get to V that I've got a, a, a particularly <laughs> French... <laughs> Uh, French term to drop in there as well. I will pencil that in. Um, finishing O with what I feel is a slightly more modern cliche, but I really, I really, I've really taken to it. I really like it. Uh, Charlie, I suppose it's got sort of a mini quiz. Really, a fullback is being given a torrid time. What is happening to him in an O context? <laughs> the the opposing winger is having him on toast. On toast. Yeah, I, like I really toast. like on toast. I think on toast is great. It's really, it's yeah. really satisfying. I think one of the things that that I enjoy about on toast is that to put something on toast, you must first spread it across the toast, um, uh, and then, of course, you must eat it. So, in a way, it, it, it's it's kind of two ways of of you know absolutely annihilating a fullback, both you know spreading him out uh, on the turf. <laughs> And then literally eating him. Um, yeah, I'm quite I'm a big fan of that him. one as well. And, so and also yeah, of course, burning yeah. him. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh my god, it works on so many levels. Yes, you've you've burnt it, then you've spread something on it, and then you've eaten it. Um, poor old fullbacks. Who'd be a fullback? Um, moving on to P. Uh, what sort of things, Tommy, do you consider to be part and parcel of football? I tend to think of things that are part and parcel of football as being disappointments or setbacks. Mm. So it's the sort of thing Mm. a manager might say, 
you know, yes, we've shipped five today, but that's part and parcel of football. It's all about how we bounce back next week. It's, it's about don't hear things... ships very much anymore. It's about, you don't hear ships much anymore. This is true. Um, sort of reaching back to the 80s for that particular example. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's something that will be, it will be a way of um, sort of looking at a setback with perspective that, yes, this mm. is a bad thing, but bad things happen in football. It's the nature of the sport. You know, we move on, we go again, mm. etc. Yeah, injuries are kind of the gold standard, aren't yeah. they? You yeah, know, yeah. Injuries, injuries are, part are very and much part and parcel. And little niggles and knocks, I think, are very much the the part and parcel bread and butter. Um, I also, I'm confused by so we go into a cup final and there's a player who's kind of ushered back, perhaps too soon. From to, he's not, he's not sort of ready. And uh, afterwards, we're all told that uh, he was patently not fit. And I feel like, again, patently. That's the only. That's sort of the mandatory usage of that in football. Is he was patently not match fit. He shouldn't have played. Um, so that yeah. Often for major tournaments as well. The oh major, yeah. yeah. An England player's rush back. He's patently unfit. Yeah, I that, think that's I think it, metatarsal injuries. Exactly. See also metatarsal. I think it also reflects the sort of um, not joy, uh, but the relief you feel as a journalist when you can declare <laughs> with a fairly large degree of certainty that a player is injured because yeah. most of the time you 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 often can't tell from looking at a player whether he's mm. injured whether he's been rushed back too soon or or, or whatever um, every now and again a player comes back from injury clearly wasn't quite up <laughs> for it and, and if he if his team take an absolute pasting and he touches the ball about six times you can generally pronounce him to have been patently unfit without having to worry too much about anyone trying to pick that apart yeah, about I having like any this, medical this, knowledge yeah, yeah. yeah well exactly yeah. this taps into kind of some of this accepted wisdom and this, and this applies to pundits and fans and everyone who, who become sort of amateur medics and i've heard a lot maybe before before the lockdown i heard a lot of sort of Pundits saying, oh, well, they look tired out there for me. They look tired out there. And it's, that's just something you say. There's no there's no evidence. There's no visual evidence of that. It's just something you say. And then everyone will just go, well, yeah, I guess they did. So it's, yeah, just sort of vague observations that you think were just about managed to pass through without any scrutiny. Um, similarly, uh, another phrase of early 19th century origin, of, of unknown exact origin, which is the phrase petering out. Now, mm. I'm I want to know... Charlie, at what stage of a game can you say it's petering out? What, there must be a threshold, of minute-wise. A first yeah. half can't peter out. Can no, it? I think once you're in, if a team's like three 0 up and you're in like mid to late sixties, I think a game can well be petering out at that point. Okay, you yeah. can also have seasons petering out and title bids petering out. I think. Oh really? You know, like, yeah, I think so. If, 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 if I think a, a team see, a team season just petering out a bit, you know, you no, get to March, no, 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 hang on, hang on. Games peter out, but seasons fizzle out. Right, Tom, okay. back me up here. Seasons fizzle out, right? <laughs> yes, I'd go along. I'd go along Thank with that. Um, I think there's probably there's, there's perhaps one example of how a first half might peter out if there's mm. um, a huge unexpected avalanche of goals for one team early on, yeah. um, and everyone in the stadium is so taken by surprise that they, you know, they can't really react to it. I'm put in mind of. That game in the uh, Gerard Slip season when mm. Arsenal went to Anfield 
and were 4-0 down mm. after something like 18 minutes. Oh, right. and, and I think I'm right in saying that between then and half-time, absolutely nothing happened. It was as if Liverpool couldn't believe how many goals they scored. Arsenal couldn't believe how many goals they conceded, although you'd think they'd be used to it, given how often it happened in those <laughs> matches. And and the game just almost kind of stopped, really, because it was you know the game was up for Arsenal and Liverpool had no need to keep on attacking. Um, so that, that's one perhaps rare example um, of a first-half petering out. Yeah, I'd say an early flurry of goals throws everything, you know, out the window, really. Because um, even, you know, I've, I've watched a hell of a lot of football in my life. And yet when I see sort of a team race into like a 3-0 lead after after 20 minutes or something, in my head, I'm looking at the scoreline and the number of minutes. And I'm just like, I just wanted to, I wanted to carry on with the goal per 10 minutes. I wanted mm-hmm. to carry on on that, on that trajectory. And I want it to be an absolute thrashing. And then when it falls below that ratio, you start to become quite disappointed. So I think in that, that might be the clearest threshold possible of a game petering out, even in even rather extreme circumstances, perhaps. But it's important to understand these things. I want to know what, what means a, a game petering out. Um, into tabloid territory, as we enjoyed thoroughly in part one. Uh, Tom, what is a probe? A probe is basically a tabloid headline equivalent <laughs> of investigation. Uh, right. And it's one of those words that is extremely helpful when you have a headline to write because it's much shorter than investigation uh, and thereby frees up more space for other colourful words. Um, and I think the problem with probe is that it sounds physically invasive uh, and it also <laughs> it also puts you in minds of, I don't know, being abducted by aliens uh, and oh, prodded yes. with their, you know, technologically advanced uh, medical tools. Um, like so it's, it's the sort of thing you see, particularly when a player is being probed. Uh, yeah. Or a manager is being probed, you know, blah blah probed over dodgy <laughs> business dealings, um, mm. conjures up unfortunate mental images. Uh, but you- again, as, as we as we said in part one, it's one of those classic words that that owes all its currency to the fact it's much shorter than a more commonly <laughs> used longer version. I just felt I feel like the FA are, are chief probers. If you face yeah. an FA probe, but. Charlie, once you faced the FA probe and the results of the probe have been revealed, what do you then face? The FA hearing, rap, rap. Okay, <laughs> which is an even more absurd word, and and obviously more headline friendly. Um, further still, right? I mean, that's um, so. Yeah, that's one. Of those, that is so ridiculous. But yeah, just that's... just the idea of say, I don't know, Sir Bert Millichip spitting some <laughs> rhymes um, <laughs> as an FA rap. Um, but of course, probe has another context, Charlie. In football, where mm. would you? Where else would you hear probe or probing? Yeah, teams could be probing, midfielders could be probing, or probing pass. Um, yeah, I feel like a schemer would probe. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So you're, yeah, you're that kind of player who plays quite a lot of sh- quick, short passes, is getting on, and they're probing. They're not making massive inroads, but they're just probing away, yeah. just kind of, you know, g- getting a bit closer into enemy territory. I like inroads. We should have had that in part one. Mm. Inroads <laughs> is good. Um, Tom, what does profligate mean to you? Profligate means either a team or a player uh, who isn't taking their chances. Um, and it's one of those sort of unnecessarily complicated football words. Yeah, um, you know, totally. Basically, a, a striker who's not doing his job, you know, will be described as, as, as profligate. Um, you don't see profligacy all that much as mm. in the, the, the noun, even though theoretically, you know, it, it comes from the exact same place only ever profligate that that tends to be used and it's very close to prolific but means the opposite thing 
which maybe is why tiny. it gets used because it yeah. for that reason but i remember as a kid reading profligate quite a lot in match reports and having to like ask my parents what it means and that kind of thing and and you know you you want to use words that people can use prof uh, that they understand profligate to yeah. me feels a bit like utilize it's like just say it's not helping yeah every now and then you'll you'll find yourself writing utilizing i will i, will I hate that. myself i'm not going to use it yeah uh, I'm going to finish off P in an exciting fashion. Uh, what, what to you is the only scoreline? What, what scoreline best fits the adjective pulsating, Charlie? 3-3 three, three draw. Wow. I, that's I'm a, like, that's I, I go straight four, away. Two, it's coming to my head. Really? Really? Wow. Pulsating 3-3 yeah. three, three draw. I, th- I yeah. think you've got to have either parity or only one goal in it. Because pulsating, okay. is a, there's, a lot, there's a lot in that word. Um, you know, obviously you've got Why isn't it just pulse. pulsing? I, it's the same pulse, thing. I mean, yeah, I guess pulsing suggests a, uh, a much less dramatic rhythm, you know, yeah. it, like the rhythm of your pulse as it is, whereas pulsating mm. suggests some kind of acceleration of that of that pace. Uh, and I, yeah, mm. I think for a game to be pulsating, it needs to have at least five goals, bare minimum. Um, ideally, you know, lots of goals being scored towards the end of the game, the lead exchanging hands multiple times. Um, end-to-end stuff. End-to-end stuff, exactly. Yeah. On to Q, what questions are asked of a defence? I feel like que- oh, defences get asked all sorts of questions. Um, mm. Is this closely related to being posed all sorts of problems? What sort of questions do defences get asked? I, I, I imagine sort of a centre-forward sort of giving them a, a, a riddle to solve or something. Well, do they want it? You know, how up for it are they? Not, <laughs> yes. You know, not so much defences, but teams generally. That's a question you want to be asking your opposite number. Like, you know, does he want it? Um, does the keeper fancy yeah. it? Does the keeper fancy it? See, see if they can answer those questions. If they do, great. Good on them. How is the question of a does a keeper fancy it um, posed in a physical sense, Tom? Um, oh, it, whether the keeper fancies it, I guess that yeah. would be by that? something that's going to kind of lure him from his line and oh, expose yeah. him to the risk of physical harm. So a ball into the corridor of uncertainty, for example, yes. um, or or say someone's got a, a team have got a free kick in the inside left channel, and the player mm-hmm. who takes it uh, takes it right footed in swinging in behind sort of the defensive line of the defending team and the goalkeeper has to make that decision of whether he comes to, to punch it or try and claim it or stay on his line, that's when you sort of see the the metal of a goalkeeper, you know, whether he, whether he really fancies it or not. A goalkeeper in tracksuit bottoms and short sleeves. Crosses in when you've got like an Andy Carroll style centre forward, I think mm. it's like yeah. Yeah, that's the ultimate, ultimate question. question to ask of a player, isn't it, I think? I mean, in terms of the questions you can ask of a defence, the only question that a team can ever really ask a defence is, can you defend this? Can you defend this? <laughs> or how about, how about this? this? It's just a, an endless succession of trying them. variations of the same thing and seeing if they can defend it. What about rallying calls and rallying cries? Uh, when, when do they happen and what are they, Charlie? Well, they get issued as well. Yes. <laughs> they, they have to be issued. You issue a rallying <laughs> cry. Well, again, you know, a team has suffered injuries. Although they're a part and parcel of the game, they are, they're up against it. They've got players out. They're going away to a tough ground. So their manager might issue a rallying cry to, to kind of G up the troops uh, before yeah, the game. A manager or a captain will do it in the lead up to a game. And I think it's the sort of thing that you often encounter um, at the halfway point of a two-legged tie where one team mm. has won oh, okay. the first leg very comfortably. And I find yeah. that the sort of narrative around those games often follows quite a, quite a, um, uh, a familiar sort of arc in that 
final whistle blows in the first leg. Team X have won 4-0. They're obviously through, obviously. Team Y don't even pretend otherwise. But then over the two weeks or the 10 days that elapsed between the first leg and the second leg, everyone realises, hang on, guys, we've got another football match to play here. The newspapers and the, and the journalists and the, the TV channels have got to try and sell it in some way. And so you, you sort of get that kind of steady creep of, well, if we get an early goal and then, you know, you're sort of... The, the the idea that this this deficit might in some way uh, end up being overturned starts to just take root. And that's when you get your rallying cry, eve of game press conference, as you said, the captain or the manager, big headline to go on the morning papers. And inevitably, you know, the team don't get anywhere close to turning it around. Actually, but it this is, does this is a good create point. a bit a, a degree of suspense, which is important. Yeah, in those, because in those, as, uh, as we all situations. know, as we all know now, the, the previews to any big game are the most tedious part of football. Previewing football is is just the pits. And I feel like rallying calls and rallying cries are this this kind of attempt to squeeze some drama out of some really mundane pre-match quotes. So it's, it's definitely a football industry phenomenon of having to squeeze as much excitement as you can out of, uh, of a game that hasn't happened yet. So I think I feel like rallying calls is, is the peak of that. Mid-game phenomenon of ruing. What do you rue, Charlie? Missed chances. Yeah, is, is kind of the big one. You could be left it's, to rue them as well. It's another word that so much of my vocabulary comes from being a kid and watching <laughs> football and reading football. Like rue is another one that is precisely where I first heard that. Now on to S, which is which is a very eventful letter in the footballing alphabet. Um, first of all, a word that you only ever hear it's, it's only ever conspicuous by its absence uh we're talking about a, a player who's deceptively quick and tom they are described as no no slouch no slouch what is a slouch uh, has, has a player ever been a slouch i don't think there has ever been on record a player described as a slouch <laughs> he is a slouch it turns out is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he is a slouch yeah I, I can't think of a single example of a, of a mm. player being described as a slouch it's it's okay. always I, I feel like it's the sort of thing you might say if someone is quicker than you might expect them to be. So like a young, speedy centre-forward, like Kylian Mbappe, for example, might fancy mm. his chances against a slightly older, slightly lumbering centre-back and knock the ball beyond him. That is when the centre-back would show that he is no slouch, uh, you know, by, by getting to the ball first or whatever. Charlie, what is the very specific scenario in which you could describe it as a smart save? That's a smart save. Uh where it, and how would that occur? Uh, <laughs> trying to think, is that that's not a double, not a double one when no. they kind of. Uh, oh, with their know, feet? Sometimes I feel like this is only me who knows this. <laughs> with and, their feet, and, and this, this whole thing is a flimsy construct made up just to keep me in 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 work. Uh, Tom, help me out here. What's a smart save? I'm thinking a close range yes. sort of reflex save, the kind of thing that you quite don't have down. any time to think about. Yeah, quite low down, smart save. Um, De Gea, I feel like, is a very is a constant smart saver. It's all it's all with the feet. There's an element of reflex to it, but also, as as the the word suggests, there was there's a, there's a sort of hint of judgment about it as well. And so, smart saves are low down. Interesting. Adam, can I say for the record, I was saying with his feet while you were ranting about the uh, lack of understanding around smart saves. I'm trying to scramble back some credibility because you didn't know what a smart save was. That's fine because that's what we're all here for. We're here to, we're here to learn, but I'm, 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 glad you, I'm glad you did get there in the end. Maybe you can help me out with this. In what specific context can the collective noun of spate be used in football? Spate of mischances? No. Spate of oh, bookings. No, no, it's no. flurry of bookings or flurry, flurry of yellow of cards. So, of so you're wrong there. A spate of injuries. 
Yes, thank yes. you. Yes. Spate is very specific. Charlie, if I said to you, uh, it, the word is an old Scots word, and it means and it means place and worth put together. What footballing noun have I come up with? Place, stalwart place and worth. It is. That's where stalwart comes from. Really, the old Scots for place combined with the old English for worth mixed together makes stalwart. So I guess it means they have earned their place. I guess is is, is what it means. They a stalwart. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's where stalwart comes from. But again, as with many of these words in this in this footballing alphabet, it's just it's just not a word you should say out loud. To the point where I don't even know how to pronounce it. Should you say stalwart or stalwart? It's a bit like <laughs> lambast. Or lambast <laughs> from a few weeks ago. It's, again, it's just a word I see, but I've never heard it say out loud. And just how on earth? I, you know, again, I said Sieg when I meant Segway. Or the other way again, around. Again, I've once heard Stalwart used. Uh, mm. An old Latin teacher describe, who was fairly eccentric, describing himself as a stalwart of his college football team. You, you can't. You can't call yourself a stalwart. That, that never, never sell stalwart. That, I mean, that's that's hey. crossing a line. I'm just reporting what I was told. <laughs> what was the teacher's name? Can we, can, we, can we shame him? Mr. Makara. Yeah, Mr. Makara, classic. Absolutely. And he said I'd never amount to anything. And that. look at me now. <laughs> the guy who owns a club, the guy who runs Ting at a football club, told him what he'd be described in a tabloid context. Might be described as a supremo. Yeah. Love that word. Uh, That's and one I, of the best. I, I quite like supremo because you it. can use it without being 100% certain what <laughs> the person you're describing actually does. Um, yeah. I find this, if you're, if you're writing about a club with you know a sporting director, uh, a head of recruitment, some clubs have a sporting director and a, a director of football. Um, is it the chairman? Is it the owner? Is it the majority shareholder? You have all yes. these doubts in your mind, but one thing you can be certain about is no one can really contest Supremo <laughs> because yeah. it just means important figure. Um, the club's and, chief, see your friend here as well. Yeah. I mean, and you're yeah, not really sure before, which yeah. of them. Hierarchy yeah. Supremo is as well. clubs only, but you can yeah. use sort of Mike Riley, for example, is the referee's chief or something exactly. like that. So chief of anything. Moving on to T, uh, you've got telegraphed passes, which I feel like are just, I don't really know. Again, it's just a phrase I would use, but I'm not really sure what a telegraphed pass is, Tom. What is a telegraphed pass? I mean, yeah, I mean uh, a telegraphed pass is, is one that um, everyone, and particularly the opposing team, see coming um, mm. and and can can consequently react to. But yeah, as you say, I mean, it, it suggests that it, it is a pass that has been um, sort of warned about. Too obvious. By sending a telegraph, which which people <laughs> haven't done for a hundred years. Um, but yeah, it's, so, it's often the player who's telegraphed it, isn't it? So they'll be through on goal and it's like he's really telegraphed that, meaning that they've made it very obvious where they're going to put it. And then the keeper can, can make a save or the defender can make a block and that sort of thing. Speaking of saves, uh, saves can come from the top drawer, can't they? <laughs> But not yes. the top shelf. <laughs> Some people occasionally misspeak. That that That'd save a... has come right off the top shelf. Well, unless, for example, a goalkeeper like threw himself into a top draw save and had some kind of wardrobe malfunction, a la <laughs> a la Paul Scholes or Peter Beardsley, uh, yeah. and then a top draw save might also become a top shelf save. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, generally reserved uh, only for. Um, uh, impressive saves and yeah you never hear about middle draw saves bottom draw saves uh presumably no. they don't exist what do you keep in your top drawer charlie top
top drawer. Um, well, no, one I of mean, my... literally in your top drawer at home, what do you keep in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, socks, right? Yeah, so I've Actually, got... I keep so- contact lenses in my top drawer. I've got two, so it's kind of half. Oh. One is for boxes and socks, and the other is kind of general admin, your passports, right. your forms. It's good to have those two things close yeah. together, your passport <laughs> and your pants, just in case you need to make a quick getaway. Well, they're going to be the first... Yeah, exactly. They're the first things, yeah. first names on the team sheet when I go back <laughs> so... It's good to know what, what, what top draw means in every single possible context. Uh, an important one for you is, Charlie, what is the ultimate indignity in football? The ultimate indignity? The ultimate indignity. What is what is often described as the ultimate indignity? Oh, I see. Uh, he suffered the ultimate Tom indignity. Tom knows this, of... I can sense it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Being taken off before half-time? <gasps> close although i feel like that should qualify and probably is worse but tom what is the ultimate indignity it's when you're a substitute and you get subbed ah. on and subbed off in the yeah. same yeah we should clarify this isn't about injuries this isn't about a player being unable to continue this is about a player who was brought on specifically to do a job that someone else couldn't do and was then brought off because they couldn't do it for someone who in turn was then given the job of doing that job that's how indignified the whole situation becomes. Uh, it seems a bit strong, though, doesn't it, Charlie? It's a bit, bit much, the ultimate indignity. What really irritates me, though, is when that ultimate indignity label is put on someone who came on after, like, 10 minutes and is substituted late. Because it's like, that's, to me, fairly irrelevant. You know, he still played, let's say, 60, 70 minutes. I don't think that's an ultimate indignity. That's You have to bring the player on because of an injury, and then he's effectively yeah. a starter. That, yeah, that, I, I agree with that. Not the ultimate that. indignity. Yeah, there, there is there is something quite electrifying about the realization that you are witnessing the subbing off of a substitute because it's such a, a uniquely personal moment of shame, and you know you kind of get the disbelieving look of, of the substitute in question when they realize that their number is up, and then that sort of kind of like around the ground people realize what's happening that we're all witnessing this this one man's you know, descent into his own very private world of <laughs> of, of agony. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I think the the consequences of it are, are probably quite uh, quite unpleasant from the, the the perspective of the substitute in question. Emmanuel Abue okay. never really recovered at Arsenal from suffering the ultimate dignity mm. of being subbed off as a sub. Uh, how does one come through a specially arranged behind closed doors friendly, ideally? Unscathed. Yeah, big time, big time. Because, of course, you know, that's why they're being arranged, because players come back from injury. So the whole point is they come through it unscathed. Well, I'm glad we got again, that wrapped up. Again, you don't hear about them coming through it scathed. No, no. That would not be the well, word you'd use. You, you could launch a scathing attack in the media. Oh, absolutely. But you, but you could, would never yeah. come through a match scathed. <laughs> we were heavily um, scathed after that. Moving on to the, moving on to V, uh, Tom, people don't promise to do things in football. What do they do? They vow. They vow. Um, and why another... do they do that? Because it's shorter than promise, <laughs> basically. Love a vow. I d- and I d- also punchier. It, and it, it kind of suggests that it's something that the person making this this pledge um, considers a sort of matter of personal pride. Mm. You know, if you if you vow yeah. to do something, that's sort of yes. like cross my heart and, ho- and hope to die. Whereas in actual fact, it's invariably used by, you know, jobbing centre-back talking about his team wanting to win the next game, which he'd assume they'd want to do anyway i feel um, like it's more personal than that i feel like it's like players vow to kind of win over the win over their new fans or something or, or silence the boo boys well it's I almost like, like a, a personal a, thing 
it's like a pledge of allegiance as well. Like you think mm. of like I vow to thee, my country. I think there's mm. that uh, feeling that it is it's a duty and an honour that you're performing. Yeah, it's usually something fairly significant. You know, yeah, you don't you don't just vow to score in the next game or something. It's just kind of a long term thing. Well, that's but what yeah, I like when you do when it's used in just really prosaic, uh, <laughs> prosaic way for things that don't sound that much <laughs> wow. like a vow, but have but again, just been again, used because it's shorter. I, I I can't even imagine a Sky Sports news presenter saying vow out loud. That's hmm. that's that's how forbidden it is to say it out loud. It's something like People that. People often vow to repay the hefty transfer fee. Oh yeah 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 yeah. And um, by which and you do that by simply scoring a goal on your debut don't you well that's a huge chunk of it a for sure. huge chunk of course sorry on to w uh goalkeepers that go walk about uh where are they going how far <laughs> how far out are we talking to, to consider that as walk about going walk about mark bosnich presumably or any australian goalkeeper would presumably. <laughs> every time oh, they so. take to the field i guess yeah. walk about i mean walk about suggests at the very least outside your six yard box you could, I think, really? I think a goalkeeper could go walk about and remain within the confines of his penalty area if he just was going in completely the wrong direction. But it, generally, <laughs> you tend to think of it as a player coming out of their box, having a you know sort of Rene Higuita against Cameroon, uh, you yeah. know, losing possession or something, or, or just being stranded miles like- from their from their own goal. But I think I think if a goalkeeper, you know, sort of makes an ill judged decision to come for a ball that that they can't get, and then he's left. Mm. You know, sort in of no man's 15 land. yards away in no man's land from their own goal, mm. then then you can say they've got more about. Okay, it's good to hear that clear. But yeah, I feel like it's a, it's an extra penalty area thing. I think once you've once mm. you're into the area where you can't use your hands, they are a bit lost. And I think yeah, that's where they have, they've gone walk about. Uh, Charlie, big fan of the word want away. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like that that deserves its place. Want away is Eternally. really useful because yeah. it does just it saves you on words and everyone knows what it means. Um, so yeah. All, all four want away. Tom, what's the worst kept secret in football? What, what traditionally seems to be the worst kept secret in football? Worst kept secret in football? Would that be that um, a player is is coveted by a, a certain club, or that a, a, I think a, a more player specifically, wants to join a, it's to more join specifically a, a manager being unveiled at a new club uh, in a deal that was presumably yes, arranged sorry, quite yeah, of, some time ago. So yeah, yeah when it's been in the papers the for. Kept. Yeah, yeah. Been, been in the papers for two or three weeks and then finally confirmation comes through. Yeah, yeah agreed. Okay. Uh, the only X I've got on my list, uh, but it is a good one. Um, Charlie, what in football could be X-rated? A tackle. Mm. Yeah, I think of like a Julian Dix making an X-rated tackle. But how bad would a tackle be that only 18-year-olds are allowed to watch it? You do get sometimes when players suffer such an injury, such a bad injury, that they're not even X-rated. They're deemed, you know, too bad for anyone to watch. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so you know, like, matters of taste. They exactly, won't show it yeah. It's almost yeah. like a ban, not even a... Yeah. You know, well, I think that's it. quite an important distinction because there's still something quite kind of playful about X-rated, but generally you wouldn't ever use it or you wouldn't ever see it applied to a tackle that are genuinely uh, injured someone, as Charlie says. Uh, if a tackle is so bad that it leaves someone's foot, you know, pointing in the wrong direction, as you occasionally see, then suddenly everyone who reacts to it has to do it in in a, a manner commensurate with the gravity of the injury. Whereas, mm-hmm. as long as the player who's on the receiving end of the tackle has, you know, been able to to carry on, um, I think I think generally speaking, you're you're more likely to hear it described as an X-rated tackle. Agreed. Does that also speak to the fact that there is? almost an admiration and fondness certainly from your proper football men for the x-rated tackle (laughs) 
Do you know what I mean? It's almost like they know it's bad, but it is it's seen by some as quite a manly, uh, you know, thing to do that harks back to a different era when yeah. men were men yeah, and X-rated maybe. tackles were allowed. I'm not sure. Well, it's a bit um, like the, it's a bit like the reducer, isn't it? Which is another of those kind of mm. slightly old-fashioned football terms that you hear less and less. There, you know, there, there is less tolerance these days for that sort of very brutish way of playing. But terms like that do reflect, I think, something that, particularly in this country, you know, we've always we've always felt that this sort of fondness for that physical side to the game. Yeah, um, exactly. I think X-rated is, it probably belongs to that that particular subset of football speak what's your archetypal yo-yo club tom archetypal yo-yo club would be um do you know it's been so long since i watched any football i can't even remember (laughs) (laughs) teams not going anywhere they're not yo-yoing anywhere bottom of the premier league anymore i mean someone like norwich i guess yeah Um, i always think of west brom Brom. west brom yeah west brom uh, back in the day they were always if you want the the hipster's choice as a yo-yo club. Uh, Sam Colborn on Twitter suggests um, BFC Sudring uh, of, uh, of their kind of mid-1950s vintage. Um, they they bounce between the Oberliga Berlin and the Amateur Liga Berlin. And I'm counting here once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times in the space of a wow. decade. They just went up and down between the Amateur League and the Oberliga. So they're the ultimate. So if anyone That's ever crazy. asks you again... <laughs> what a yo-yo club is, or just bear in mind, BFC Sudring of the nineteen fifties, classic. But of course, being um, a German team, they wouldn't be uh, described as a yo-yo team, but as an oh, yeah. elevator team, um, because the German oh. equivalent of uh, yo-yo team is elevator team. I will attempt to pronounce the German word Fastulmannschaft. Um, again, <laughs> similar similar idea, slightly slightly less playful than yo-yo, but with yeah. I don't know, perhaps a kind of slightly colder, more Germanic. Um, yeah. edge to it the, the doesn't idea have the same kind of dynamism const- about it doesn't no and, but I suppose taste. it also yeah and it, it kind of um, there's something much more you know mundane and routine about the thought of constantly getting in and out of a lift as opposed to you know being an actual yo-yo which like, sounds like <laughs> an awful lot of fun but the problem here is I, mean, I have a huge fondness for, for many German terms when it comes to football, especially the ones that we don't have. I don't know, like Anschluss Treffer, which is a goal that reduces it from 2-0 to 2-1, which I think is, is a great word and very mm. necessary. But in this case, it implies that they have some sort of choice about where they're going. Uh, like they, They're choosing to go up and they're choosing to go down by pressing a button. And that's simply not how football works. And that's, of course, you're fixing the, fixing the league. So, well, we've reached the, the final stop of our footballing alphabet. And that's, of course, is Zed. And, and Charlie, there is only one place we can go here with Zed, and that is Rosed. Rosed, of course. Yeah, I mean, but of course, if we analyse this, Rosed is presumably only 26 rows up. That's not that hard to find, even with no. a very wayward shot. Again, I remember the. F- I remember. Uh, I think it was going to Wembley or maybe the new Wembley, and noticing they had like row ZZ. They go all the mm. way back, so you know, yeah. th- which really gets uh, sorts out Z for us in the alphabet. Yeah, I feel like that cliche needs to evolve to to fit with modern stadium architecture. Tom, what do you, how do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's also um, a, a, an idiom that is that is kind of. It's fallen out of use a little bit because yeah. generally you would hear it. I mean, okay, you might have a shot that ends up in row Z, but I think in in more modern times, it, it's the sort of thing you would hear when a defender had been caught on the ball, uh, oh, and he yeah. would then and and uh, his team had conceded as a consequence. 
Uh, and he would then be told uh, invariably by Andy Gray that he should have just <laughs> put it in Rose Ed. Whereas, of course, you know, centre-backs just clobbering the ball into touch, as enjoyable a sight as it is, is, <laughs> is not something you see all that often and actually not something that people are as willing to forgive anymore because you're just mm. forfeiting possession, handing it back to your opponent. So I think, I think the fact that Rose Ed isn't used as much is, is another example of, of football's stealthy evolution over the last few years, that whereas it was, it was sort of seen as the only acceptable option for a centre-back on the ball, being closed down by an opposing player and with no obvious pass on, um, mm. now you would expect that that player to to turn back towards his own goal and play it to his keeper or, you know... Look for the inside left channel. Exactly, exactly. Try and break the lines with a pass rather than just hitting Rosette. I do worry, though, that um, in, ter- in the context of wayward shots that fly over the bar, Rosette has been usurped by simply the ball going to orbit. <laughs> and then, you know, the subsequent Twitter memes that will go with it and the ball sort of going into space and orbit now. I, I, I worry that in in this figurative orbit, this space junk of wayward shots from major tournaments. <laughs> Knocking yeah. into one another. Yeah, exactly. Really nice footballs, Adidas tangos and all sorts, just, just uh, orbiting the earth. That Baggio penalty about. still yeah, orbiting, of course. Definitely. I mean, yeah, doesn't even have I've a right trajectory because other... it came down straight away, so... I've got an image of that other well-known meme of Colo Torre's face just floating around in space. Oh, yeah. And just watching all these wayward shots that have gone into <laughs> orbit sort of drift past him. What a lovely image. Um, having, having used up, having exhausted all the words in the footballing alphabet, uh, I feel like there are some gaps we need, we need to explore. Um, there's a really fascinating book that wasn't written by either of us, actually, Tom, about the language of football. Oh. Um, Daniel Meyer, who, who's, who among his, his body of work is Harry Hill's TV burp, and he wrote the book Footypedia in 2008. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really clever book. It, it, it's a book I really wish I'd written myself. It is a dictionary of, of words that don't exist in football but really ought to. And he, he picks kind of mini phenomena in football that don't currently have a word about them. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Anstey, the noun. A feeling the steward gets as they sit on their stool facing the crowd that the ball is about to hit them on the back of the head at any moment. <laughs> uh, Campbell, verb, the trance-like yet pissed-off fashion in which groundsmen repair divots on the pitch at half-time. Yeah. And little hails, noun, plural, tiny irritating adjustments made to the position of his wall by a fussy goalkeeper at a free kick. Yeah, lovely stuff. Clever. Um, we asked our this listeners... This guy laid the foundations for you two to... Uh... Come do your thing. Oh, that's he really walked, good. Walked so that we could run. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Standing uh, on the shoulders of giants. Or at least jog slowly. <laughs> Carry on going. We asked our listeners to fill in the gaps of the footballing language because this is the receptive audience. These are the people that are going to be absorbing this language. These are the people that are going to be using it day after day. So who better to ask to, to try and fill in these gaps where the current language of football is, is just not quite sufficient? David Marple says, we need a word for when a physio whirls their hands in the air while tending to an injured player in order to indicate that a substitution is required. That needs a universally recognised term. Sort of maybe hand cycling. Hmm. Emergency hand cycling. In, in, in your head, you've, you've got the image, right? The two fingers waggling oh, yeah. around. Yeah. Yes. Almost hmm. looks like they're about to launch into the dance routine from uh, Saturday night by Wigfield. Oh, yes. Which I'm pretty yeah. sure has got that exact hand movement in hmm. it at some point. Yeah. Maybe it was Maybe based that's, on that's the ethos that. of the song. Mm. Mm. Lee Payne says, we need a word for those first few seconds after the crowd have quietened down from celebrating a goal as, it, uh, as they wonder if VAR will rule it out. Oh, that's yeah, too that's painful. a great one. Yeah. That's a great one. 
Abs Muller says, I don't think there's a word yet for when a player lies down behind a wall to prevent <laughs> a low free kick. I bet the Germans have got something to I was that. just going to say, there must be a, <laughs> yeah. there must be a German word or a word in another yeah, language for, for, who, for what that player is. And it'll be a really yeah. clever derivation. I mean, there's probably, a, there's probably a word in the building trade to describe a sort of small ornamental wall. Um, and maybe we just need to find out what that is. Because it would have to be something to do with wall or, you know, a, a kind of a, a spare set of bricks or something. Tom Ob is he's actually quite helpful here because he suggested it himself. He says, um, "Hootuber, that is a continental player linked with your club that you hadn't heard of ten minutes ago, but after frantic searching on YouTube, you are now convinced is the best player in the world. And if not signed, will spell disaster. Could also be called a Joe Exotic." <laughs> I really I like, like that. is really good. And that um, yeah, concept is something we've all been burnt by, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. certainly back in the day, I remember when YouTube first started and looking at some compilations being like, oh, my God, he's going to be amazing. But it's hugely frustrating sometimes when you really want to search for a player for, for reasons, either, either your club are signing them or you're writing an article about them or something like that. And, and you're trying to find them. And the two most irritating options come up on YouTube. It, either it's skills, goals and assists from a season that isn't relevant. So it's like, I don't know, three seasons ago and you wanted last seasons. Or more annoyingly, a great goal that they've scored, but on Football Manager. Oh my <laughs> Someone God, has actually no- yeah. fucking recorded Football Manager. Nothing annoys YouTube. me more than going onto YouTube to try and find footage of a player or a match, <laughs> thinking you've got it, clicking on the video, and then it opens, and it's, uh, it's FIFA. FIFA footage that some bedwetting gamer <laughs> has uploaded. You know, in the mistaken belief that anyone cares about their, you know, thrilling 4-2 victory over, you know, whoever it was that they're playing. Just a bit uh, yeah, of perspective I've been here. burned by that so many yeah. times as well. A bit of perspective here. It's fine to play FIFA. It's fine to record yourself playing FIFA. It's also fine, even, to, to upload it to YouTube. But it is not okay to <laughs> label it on YouTube in a misleading way for people, journalists or fans, who want to watch a game from... Back in the day, do not label it as such. Very annoying, especially if there isn't a you know a you know an actual option on YouTube to watch because it drives me insane. So stop doing it, whoever you are. It's also um, it's about the only time I will ever be moved to uh, vote down a video on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> um, is it? I'll probably I'll vote down the video and then I'll go through the comments and if anyone has said anything dismissive of it, I'll vote that up. And if anyone said anything praiseworthy, I'll vote it down. Just doing, you know, in my own very small way, letting my uh, yeah, that letting is amazing pettiness be known. Excellent. Um, the last word here, as always, goes to Premier Seafoods Limited, the top-class fishmongers in Grimsby. And they say, there needs to be a name for the course of action a keeper takes when defending a one-goal lead late on as they clutch a routine ball to their chest, only to inexplicably <laughs> fall flat on their belly, usually with legs splayed out, followed with numerous ruffles to their hair by the teammates. Uh, it is a genuinely lovely phenomenon, and yeah. I only really appreciate it as a neutral because uh, it infuriates me if it's happening to my team. But when when a goalkeeper feigns a dive to, to to waste a little bit more time, and I can't believe they get away with it because what could a referee really do, Charlie, in this situation? Yeah, I know. I I, I am quite fond of these as well. I wonder how many goals have then been conceded after that because <laughs> they. they they do seem to time them so well that it, it's almost like it sends a message out. It's like, nah, the game's done. Just, just end yeah. it now. Like this has happened. Yeah. It's like ringing sort of a bell there. or something. Yeah, they're lying there, looking around, going, "We're done." I, I must feel so good. Yeah, it should be a booking. I think it should be a, not a penalty, but it should be a booking. I just, I just think it's, it's 
genuinely, it's worse than taking ages over a goal kick or a free kick, surely. It's because it's, it's active time wasting when the game is supposed to be going on. Still, what I love um, is when you get an outfield player who has to fill in in goal in the closing stages of the game. And occasionally they'll have to be told by one of their teammates <laughs> to do this because the thought doesn't occur to them naturally. So they'll claim oh, yeah, the ball yeah. from a free kick or something. They're obviously yeah. feeling great that they've done something quite goalkeeper-y and quite successfully, <laughs> but then realise that one of the centre-backs is sort of frantically telling them to get on yeah. the deck and then they'll do a very inelegant and very sort of fraudulent-looking front flop. Uh, you know, to to sort of try and eat up a bit well, of precious time. Well, there we go. We'll all agree it's lovely and it needs a word. Fantastic. Right. We're going to end as we semi-traditionally do with the cliche quiz. Are you all ready? Tommy, you're a newcomer to this. I should explain the very complex rules of this. I'm going to give you three questions related to football cliches. You're going to have to get at least two of them right to win the quiz. Okay. Charlie, you're a veteran of this. Not sure what your record is. Probably have very, record, very but... good, I think. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Right, okay, here we go. Question one. You need to sign an emergency goalkeeper, but what do you need before you do it? Sorry, is this to both of us or is this just to Tom? Yes, to both of you. Come oh, on. Oh, to both of us. Okay. All oh, right. Yes. Sorry, say that again. Oh, my God. You need to sign an emergency goalkeeper. I'll start again. Right. <laughs> Question one. You need to sign an emergency goalkeeper, but what do you need before you can do it? Oh, yeah, you get that. You get. Um... Come on. Fuck, what's it called? I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like a... Tom's get... quietly considering it. Yeah, I am. This oh. is sort of like you need some sort of authorisation from the league. Oh, you're is close. It... No, you're but it's close. got a specific name. Um... This always happens. Three, two, one. I'm afraid you're out of time. The answer is special dispensation. Special, special dispensation. dispensation. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. I haven't learned my lesson with the cliche quizzes not to pick questions that nobody knows the answers to. Um, question two, this has become very tense. Um, which agricultural term um, describes a uh, striker playing up front on his own? Loan. Ploughing a loan furrow. Loan furrow. Tom Williams just edges it there. Oh. One nil to the Welshman. Air punch. Mm. So, Charlie, you can only draw now. What adjective describes the league table after only a handful of games? Fledgling. No. Infancy. No. That's not that's not an adjective. Oh yeah. Um early league table. No. <laughs> Wait, say the question again. <laughs> God, which adjective describes a league table after only a handful of games? I've got it, embryonic. Yes. Fuck. Yes, in Did AD the producer just WhatsApp that to you just to put this no. cliche quiz out of his misery? I no, that genuine gen- I knew that it was something to do with, with the birth. Yeah, that's why I went and infancy. I just <laughs> had an image of like ultrasound scans, uh, fetuses, <laughs> and then, yes, embryonics. <laughs> Amazing how your brain works. Uh, wonderful. And that's why you've won this 2-0. Uh, a pulsating encounter in the cliche quiz there. Um, well done. you. Well done, well done to you, Tom. And uh, if anything, it, it's it's fitting that you won it, given that you're a student of the footballing language. Unlucky, well, that's very share. kind of you. Yeah. We'll, thanks, talk, we'll talk offline, Tom. <laughs> Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you for this two-parter. I couldn't, I couldn't have, I couldn't have had anyone else to guide us through it, uh, especially from a kind of global perspective. Um, please buy Tom's book. Do you speak football? Um, it's almost as good as football cliches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks very much, mate. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, cheers, Charlie. I'm sure you'll be back next week. We haven't got anybody else. <laughs> thanks, mate. <laughs> 
And uh, thanks to everyone for joining us from this, this A to Z. It's been an absolute blast. See you next week. Thank you.